Ruth chapter number 2. And we're dealing with the last four verses, but I kind of want to get to context a little bit since it's not from week to week. It says in verse, verse 17, And she gleaned in the field until even, and beat out that, that she had gleaned, and it was a, about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city, and her, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. And she brought forth and gave to her that she had reserved after she was sufficed. And her mother-in-law said unto her, Where hast thou gleaned today? And I'm sure that came with a lot of joy and a lot of excitement, seeing how much barley that she had brought in. And where wroughtest thou? Blessed be he that did take knowledge of thee. And she showed her mother-in-law with whom she had wrought, and said, This man's name with whom I wrought today is Boaz. And Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed he be of the Lord, who have not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said unto her, The man is near of kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. And Ruth the Moabitess said, He said unto me also, Thou shalt keep fast by my young men until they have ended all my harvest. And Naomi said unto Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that thou go out with his maidens, that they may meet thee, not in any other field. So she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean unto the end of barley harvest and of wheat harvest, and dwelt with her mother-in-law. We have already touched on 17, 18, and 19 about how Ruth has come in after a hard day's work. She's been showed a lot of grace. She's been showed a lot of favor from this man by the name of Boaz. And we we know she's been laboring and she's been working in this field of grace. She's been given a lot of extras, if you will, handfuls of purpose, sheaves that have been bound and stacked and laid aside. And so, yes, it was a hard day's work. But uh, she should have got a whole lot less uh, than she did. Because I tell you, uh, there's not other ladies, there was not other widows or uh, that came in or strangers that came in that day with as much as she has. She's been showed a lot of favor. And so I want you to kind of see, uh, the last time I talked from this text, uh, Ruth uh, brought... A report of a great relative by the name of Boaz. We saw, just to give you a little bit of the last moment of the last message, Boaz, how in verse 19, he took knowledge of Ruth. Of course, you see that all through the chapter. He took knowledge of her. He paid attention to her. Uh, he was interest in her. And just like Boaz is a type of Jesus Christ, once again, the Lord Jesus Christ is interested in us. I heard Brother Earl Hughes say, and I know we reference in him a lot, he said a lot that was very um, simple but profound. He said before Calvary, the Lord didn't have much invested in us but a handful of dirt. And that's true. But he said, but after Calvary, he's got his all in all invested in us. Amen. And if you've been saved, if you've been born again, you've been bought This is one of my points. You've been redeemed. You've been purchased 
with the price, and it's God's blood that you've been purchased and bought by. So he has more than just a handful of dust in you. If you've been saved and born again, he's got uh, the blood of Jesus Christ has been applied to your sins. So he's definitely going to take knowledge of you. He's definitely interested in you. You know, the Bible teaches us that Christ died for the church. And if you're saved and born again tonight, you're part of the bride of Christ. You're part of the church. Amen. And he's interested in you. And so Boaz took knowledge of Ruth. She also, he also was kind to Ruth in verse 20. And also in verse 20, we see that Boaz is a near kinsman. And I want you to see, first of all, tonight, uh, I want you to understand something. Boaz is being used in some areas that maybe at this moment, he's not realizing how much he's being used by the Lord. But I want you to see tonight, Boaz is being used for redemption in the life of Ruth. Uh, if you see in verse number 20, And Naomi sent unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who have not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi sent unto her, The man is near of kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. And so, and we'll bring this out more in chapter 3. I don't want to get too deep into this tonight or too bogged down in it because I'm going to have to get into it in chapter 3, starting around verse number 9 and maybe around verse number 13. And so we're going to have to see more of this. But we know in the book of Ruth, Boaz is a picture of Jesus Christ. And we know that Ruth came, is a widow lady that has attached herself to uh, Naomi. She is a Moabite lady and she has decided that Naomi's God's going to be her God and where you dwell, I'll dwell. Where you lodge, I'll lodge. Your people will be my people. And Naomi, as we said in the beginning of this study, that she's a picture of a Christian that is cold and backslidden on God. Uh, Ruth is a picture of a new convert, you will. Of course, Boaz is a picture of Jesus Christ. And so here, uh, she, she, she's going to need to be redeemed. And we'll see more of that in chapter 3. She's going to be made of a, need to make of allowance to continue to do what she's doing. But when she comes home and says, Naomi, I've been laboring among this field. I've wrought beside this man's workers and the man that let me glean so good and so great. His name is Boaz. Naomi got beside herself. She got excited. She basically started praising the Lord a little bit. And she said, the Lord has not left off his kindness, his goodness to the living and to the dead. And that man uh, that is kin unto us is our next kinsman. And he becomes a near kinsman redeemer in chapter 3 to Ruth. And so now I'm not going to get much into this tonight because I want to do it in chapter 3. But in Leviticus 25, verses 25 through 34, gives us underneath the Old Testament economy uh, how he, uh, in order for him to purchase, in order for him to buy back Ruth, uh, there's some things that, that must be in place. One that must be in place, it must be a relative. And of course, we know that's true from chapter 2, verse 1. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth. So it's a relative of, of Elimelech of the family of Elimelech and his name, 
uh, was Boaz, even though Elimelech has been dead for quite a while now. And so uh, Naomi would have access to this kinsman redeemer. But Ruth, him being interested in her, has more access um, uh, to being kinsman redeemer. And so before somebody can redeem, uh, this person must be related. And certainly Boaz is related. Now, Jesus Christ is also qualified to redeem. Uh, The Bible teaches us in John 1 verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And verse 14 of John 1 teaches us that the Word, capital W-O-R-D, became flesh and dwelt among us. You see, if you remove Jesus Christ, He's our Creator, He's our God, talking about uh, God Almighty. And so if you remove Jesus Christ, if you take away our mediator, our, our, the propitiation for our sins, if you remove Him out of the way, it's the fierce anger and the judgment of God and the wrath of God that abides on all of us tonight. But uh, there's no one in history, there's no one, I mean, you can search, the, you can search heaven, you can search the, the depths below or whatever you may want, but there's no one that was ever qualified uh, to, to make me a near kinsman redeemer other than the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches us that there's one mediator between God and men, and it says the man, Christ Jesus, and this might be stretching the point just a little bit, but it says at the end of verse 20, the man is near of kin. So even in the word the man right there, uh, is a little reference to the Lord Jesus Christ, one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. I'm glad that I have a man that stands on my behalf between me and the Heavenly Father. And so he, uh, he came to this world not to do his own will, but to do the will of the Father. So therefore, uh, he is the son, get it, he's the son of man. Yes, I know he's the son of God. I know he's, uh, uh, he's, he's, he's the son of God. He's God in the flesh. But also Luke teaches us that he is the son of man. He is the son of David. And so uh, in that aspect, through him, uh, we can be related to the Father, reconciled, redeemed through him because uh, he is related to the Father. Also, uh, to be, uh, for Ruth to be redeemed here uh, by someone else, not only must be related, but must be able to redeem. And Boaz, look at it again in chapter 2, verse 1. He's a mighty man of wealth. He doesn't just have a little bit of wealth. He doesn't just have a little bit of property. He's not uh, new money, if you will. He's not necessarily heir of this wealth. He's hard-working man that's worked for what he has. And he's just not a little bit wealthy, but he's a mighty man of wealth. I picture Boaz as a man's man. I believe he could teach young people, his children, his uh, the teenagers of the day, about laboring, about working, about investing and making money and making a, running a business. But anyway, uh, for him to be the uh, redemption to Ruth... Um, the law teaches that who is ever going to be redeemed must not only be related, but must be able to redeem. And he is certainly able, and he's quite wealthy. But I know somebody else that's quite wealthy. 
that's able to redeem as well. Look at Hebrews chapter number 7. Hebrews chapter number 7. He is so wealthy, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Amen. Dr. B.R. Lakin used to say, as long as he owns the cattle on a thousand hills and every potato in the ground, there'll be meat and a potato on my plate every night. Amen. I like that. But Hebrews chapter number 7 and verse number 25, the Bible says, Wherefore, I look at, check it in verse 23, And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, I like how that comes back around to us a little bit, the man, but this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. This is Jesus Christ. Wherefore he is able. Are you, are you, are you seeing that? You see, uh, the person that redeems underneath the Leviticus 25 must also be related, but almost be, must be able to purchase, must be able to do so. Wherefore Jesus Christ, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. No man gets to the Father except by Jesus Christ, seeing he ever liveth liveth to make an intercession for them. Listen, church, tonight, we already know it, but it's good to be reminded the Lord is able. And he's able to save. The Bible says that he came into this world to seek and to save that which was lost. Listen, it doesn't matter how far a person has gone into sin. It doesn't matter what kind of the depths of depravity that a lost man has found himself into, there is no sinner too far out of God's reach. Amen. And there is no backslider that's too far that God cannot recover. And Jesus Christ is able to take poor lost sinners, uh, to take a widow like Ruth, and take sinners like us, He is above and beyond and able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by Him. And then in turn, when we're redeemed and we're reconciled to uh, to God through the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ ever liveth to make intercession for them. Listen, He lives tonight and He sits on the right hand of the Father And one of his functions and one of the things that he does every day, the Bible says that he ever liveth to maketh intercession for us. It looks like it's a strange thing. It looks like the purpose of Jesus Christ is that he's still working on our behalf. He's still got us in mind. He's still thinking on us. And he wants us to come to him in prayer and so he can intercede and he can make that for us. Look at Hebrews chapter 10 in verse number 10. The, the person that redeems must be able to redeem. Now look at Hebrews 10, 10. Of course the Lord is able by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest and of daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. That Old Testament sacrifices that happen constantly every day, day in and day out, it remitted the sin, but it never took it out of the way. It put it off, but never removed it. 
until the one that stepped in and died on the cross 2,000 years ago, and he just didn't put away our sin. I mean, he didn't just put off our sin. He completely put away our sin, and he remembers it no more. He's clearly able to redeem. And the Bible says in Hebrews 10, 12, but this man, I keep bumping into that phrase, amen, in Hebrews 10, 12, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for the sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. From henceforth, expect until his enemies be made his footstool, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. So this man, the man Christ Jesus, uh, he sits on our behalf once again, sitting beside the Father, and he there is saving us to the uttermost. He died once and for all for our sins. There's no more sacrifice. He'll never go to the cross again. He'll never be buried and rose again the third day. He is absolutely the first fruit of the resurrection. And so he is able to redeem. I, you know, I, I want you to understand something tonight. You know, sometimes I think that, um, that we think when the Lord went back to heaven, that somehow he turned back into a spirit. Or that he dissipated and went into the atmosphere or went back into heaven. You know, I, I, I follow my thinking just for a moment. Do you realize that no man had ever done what he had done? Do you realize, listen, he's able to redeem. Listen, understand this. He was the only one that was virgin born. I know this is simple stuff, but it's great stuff. But he was virgin born. Conceived in Mary's womb by the Holy Ghost of God. Lived a pure, perfect, sinless life. He did always those things that pleased the Father. He never did anything wrong. He never lied. He never cheated. He never looked upon a woman unless he committed adultery in his heart. He never took anything one time that did not belong to him. He never broke one of the Ten Commandments, let alone the over 365 other commandments underneath the law. He never broke any of them. The Bible even says he was tempted in all areas as we are, but yet without sin. Okay? But understand this, he's the son of God, but he's also the son of man. Now I know, listen, listen, Jesus in his physical, physical body, in his manly body, he got weary, he got tired, he ate, he slept, you know, he got thirsty, all of that. So he experienced life like you and I experience life. He understands our trials. He understands our difficulty as the Son of Man. Understand this. This is going to get a little bit weird. Now, if you think this is heresy, you just take it up with the pastor when he gets back and he'll straighten me out. But if you try to separate, and this gets a little bit weird. It gets a little bit, just follow with me. If you try to separate just for a moment the Father from the Son... The Father didn't take on the body of flesh. Jesus Christ did. The Father is not called the Son of Man. 
You see, they're all called Lord. The Father is called Lord. Jesus is called Lord. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, their liberty, the common denominator name for the Trinity is Lord. Okay, you say, well, what's that got to do with anything? What's, I'm trying to get Jesus to see something. According to the Father, if his sin don't get out of the way, it's just judgment. It's just wrath. It is just hell, fire, and brimstone. It's the judgment of God. But Jesus Christ wrapped himself up in a body of flesh. The Son of Man, the Son of God, became the Son of Man, lived 33 and a half years, went to the cross, and died for your sin, and he died for my sin. Right? He was buried. He rose again the third day. And he was the son of man as well as the son of God. Again, the man, are you getting it? There's one mediator between God and men, the man. Jesus Christ is a man. Just like you and I are, but he's the perfect lamb of God, son of God. I'm not trying to mess with the deity, but I'm trying to get you to understand something. That Jesus Christ became a man. He was a man. We know he was more than a man. I understand that. We know that he's God in the flesh. But here's something. Jesus Christ went to the cross, died for our sin, suffered for our sin, suffered everything there. Our pain, our sorrow, our torment, our hell. He suffered it all. He gave it all. He was buried and he rose again the third day. He went up into heaven. Right? He went up into heaven. In Acts chapter number 1, he went back up into heaven and walked in as not just God in the flesh, but as a man from earth. You picture that for a moment? He walked back into heaven because he's able to do that and he was willing to do that because he can do that and the first man that was pure and perfect that died for the sins of man that was buried for the sins of man and rose again the third day for the sins of man on his own ability and his own power went right into heaven cleared a spot off from the, beside the father sat down and the father didn't say a word. It says you have a right to be there. That is your place. That is your position. And now when a person gets saved. And the blood of Jesus Christ is applied to his sin. The father is sufficed. 100%. And that's. And of course that's the way we get in. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ. Through the redemption of Jesus Christ. Through the reconciliation of Jesus Christ. And if the son wasn't there. There would be wrath. There would be judgment. There would be death upon our hides tonight. So I thank God. That I have. The son of man that represents me and anyone else that's saved sitting right next to the father and saying, he's justified. He's redeemed. He's good, not because I am good, because Jesus is good and Jesus is in me. 
What, what a blessing. But he's able, uh, the, the, the person that redeems must be related and Jesus Christ is related. Must be able to redeem. Boaz was a mighty man of wealth and Jesus Christ was far able to redeem. But also he must be willing to redeem. And I thank God tonight. Yes, Boaz was willing in chapter 3. We'll see more of that later. But in chapter 3, he was more than willing to redeem Ruth and purchase Ruth and even make, him, make her his wife. And Jesus Christ was more willing, beyond willing, uh, to come to this world and do the will of the Father. And I'm glad that I'm redeemed. I love that verse. Go to First Peter. I love First Peter chapter 1 and verse 18. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed, that means to purchase, that means to buy back. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold. From your vain conversations received by traditions from your fathers. But with the precious blood of Christ we are redeemed not by corruptible things. Not by money. Not by power. Not by popularity and prestige. Not by the traditions of men. But we're redeemed but by, by the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish. And without spot. I'm glad I'm redeemed tonight. I'm glad I've been purchased. I'm glad I've been bought back. Now I want you to see another effect that Boaz is having. Go back to Ruth chapter number 2. He's not only being used for the redemption of Ruth. But he's also being used for the revival in the life of Naomi. But look at verse number 20. I want you to notice the wording. And Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, she got the report. I've been, I've been working. I've been gleaning. I've been getting 25 pounds of barley in a man's field named Boaz. And, and, and I'm going to tell you something. Naomi's lights, her eyes just lit up. You can see it. Uh, the bells and whistles in her heart and in her mind begin to go off. And Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed, watch her wording, you see it? Watch Naomi speak. She hasn't spoken in a while. She said, Blessed be he of the Lord, who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. Uh, skip on down to verse number 22. And Naomi said unto Ruth, she speaks again, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that thou go out with his maidens, that they meet thee and not in another field. And so you can see how Boaz now is having a revival, a renewed kindle of, 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 of her faith, Back to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Listen to the last thing. Listen kind of the last words that the last time we saw Naomi speak. Okay? Look at verse 19 of chapter 1. So they too went until they came to Bethlehem, and it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem, and all the city was moved about them, and they said, Is this Naomi? Which means pleasant. And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi. See, this is 10 years been in Moab, 10 years of losing faith and family and friends and everything she's ever had. She said, call me not Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Myra, which means bitter. For the Almighty had dealt very bitterly with me. She's experiencing the chastening of the Lord. 
You'll never convince me it was the will of God for Elimelech to load up his boys and his family and move to a hideous place called uh, Moab. And the Bible says, she said, don't call me that pleasant name anymore, but call me this bitter name for the Almighty had dealt very bitterly with me. And then she said, I went out full and the Lord had brought me home again empty. Why then you call me Naomi, seeing the Lord had testified against me and Almighty hath afflicted me. So the last time we see Naomi, she's in this lowly, carnal, cold, callous, backslidden state, if you will. She's got this bitterness in her. She's got this chastening in her from the Lord. She said, God has dealt very bitter with me. God has testified against me. I've been afflicted by the Almighty. Then, when she saw the, the harvest come in, when she saw that Boaz had took knowledge of Ruth, which means in an essence, he took knowledge of Naomi as well. When she saw the kindness of Boaz, not just to Ruth, but that kindness also extended to her. When she heard that he was near kinsmen, I'm telling you, there was a revival spark. There was a revival fire that sprung in her heart and in her mind. And could, listen, could there be renewedness of strength again? Could I have my name back again? Could I get out of this bitter state again? Could I get pleasant again? Could the, uh, could the chastening of God, the testifying of God against me, could it be more now of a blessing? And she began to say, Blessed be he of the Lord who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. I'm telling you, what you, know, you can see Naomi, Brother Shock. She's praising the Lord. She's saying, look what God's done. God has not forgot about me. He's not forgot about my family. He's not forgot about my Limelech. He's still got kindness to the dead, and he's still got kindness to the living. You know, sometimes, you know, today I got to thinking that wouldn't it be great to live such a life for the Lord that he blesses your family because of your life, even after you're gone. That's heavy thought, isn't it? I believe that's what God's doing with here with Naomi and Ruth. Even though Elimelech made poor decisions, made bad decisions, but God has still not left off His kindness to the living and to the dead. And let me say, you know, God is a merciful God. You Listen, you may be here tonight and you may not be saved. Listen, I'm telling you, He's got enough grace. He's got enough love. He's got enough mercy that He wants to redeem you and He wants to save you. But also on the same token, you might be here tonight and you might be like a Naomi. There may be some bitterness set up in your heart. There may be some defeat set up in your heart. There may be just some discouragement in your heart. There may be God is not fair. He has dealt bitterly with me. He's testified against me the chastening hand of God is against me hey I'll tell you listen he's not doing that to hurt you he's doing that to help you 
And listen, if God is chasing you, of course, all of God's children are getting chastened according to Hebrews chapter 11. But if God is, is God's hand is speaking to you, if God's hand is scourging you, if God's hand is spanking you, hey, listen, listen, there's still plenty of grace. There's still plenty of mercy. There's still plenty of kindness. He is still taking knowledge of you. Hey, as long as you're still breathing, hey, we can have a little revival. Let me, I wrote down some things here. Preacher preached on revival on Sunday night. And revival is not for, for necessary for the saved. I mean, for the lost. We think of revival where people get saved. No, that's a, that's a meeting where people get saved. Uh, revival is for the cold, twice born Christian that is cold and callous and backslidden on God. And, and sins need to be confessed and there needs to be a revival to go through their heart and through their mind. Somebody said a revival is a renewed obedience back to the things of God. The only way to avoid spiritual decay is by progress and growing continually in the grace of the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And how much revival is needed today. A revival is the return of the Christian from backsliding. A revival is a new beginning of obedience back to God. You say, when is revival needed? I say revival is needed when the brotherly love is absent. When there's jealousy. When there's bitterness. When there's evil speaking. Those are some signs of revival. When heart is filled with bitterness like it was with Naomi. She went through the Funeral. She went through the loss of finances and everything in Moab, but yet she needed uh, revival. I'd say worldliness is a sure sign for revival. I mean, sometimes I wonder, do we love God more than we love our phone? Amen? And uh, can I put God first in my life for a whole day instead of just spending so much time watching the uh, you know, the television or getting on the internet or going to the, or going to, uh, the phone of what have you. I was talking to a preacher after the service and, and I said, preacher, you know, you know, if we really got in, into revival, I said, if we really got close as we should to God, I said, he'd probably tell us to get rid of our cell phone. And I'm telling you, modern day Christianity would not get rid of a cell phone in order to get close to God. That's, that's how weak we are. If God said, okay, you want more of me and less of the world? Well, get rid of your cell phone. I mean, it is, I mean I'm not saying, listen, I mean, I'm not even talking about the TV and the internet. If he just said, listen, if you want more of me, and if you want real revival, let's just start with just getting rid of the cell phone. Get the, get the phone back on the wall. <laughs> you imagine that? 
And most people, most of God's people would not even go as far as saying, okay, I want real revival. So if it means getting rid of my cell phone tonight, I'll get rid of my cell phone tonight. And if that's the prerequisite for revival, we're probably not going to see it. Isn't that pitiful? It's pitiful. Uh, Worldliness and carnality, to be carnal-minded is, is death, Romans chapter 8 teaches us. Worldliness is a sure sign that we need revival. The Bible says in 1 Peter four seventeen verse 18, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? God says the first stop of revival is not out there where the sinners are. He says the first stop of revival is where the house of God is, where the people of God, they are the first ones to do a checkup. Coldness and backsliding are results of sin. Listen, there's, I, I, I got a lot of material there, but let me just try to connect with you for a second. You know how I know we need revival? Now before Sunday night, before the Sunday night service, I want you to think back. Before Sunday night, we're not going to count, Sunday night's not fair. But before Sunday night when people got on the altar praying for revival, when did you pray for revival before that? That's, that's where we are. Every revival in church history in the world always started with confessing of sin. Always started with heavy prayer meetings. You know, preacher talked about the Moravian revival. They started a prayer meeting that lasted 100 years. Are you aware of that? A prayer meeting that lasted 100 years. We can't make a prayer meeting last 100 minutes. Before Sunday night, how many of us were saying, Oh Lord, we need an old-fashioned revival in our heart. Lord, if there's anything in me that's not right, not clean, not pleasing you, if there's something off base, Lord, show it to me and I'll confess it and I'll forsake it and I'll get it clean and I'll get it right. Before Sunday night, how did we pray, Lord, we need a revival in my home. You know, you, you know them old preachers, they used to talk about family altar. You know, preacher talks a lot about Brother Roloff. He had a tremendous ministry. And it was called the Family Altar Program where the family was supposed to gather around the Word of God for about 10 or 15 minutes and listen to some preaching or listen to the Word of God being read and sing some songs and some pray. Hey, when was the last time you got your family around a table and opened up the Word of God and does some singing at the house? Listen to some preaching together and read the Bible out loud together. I tell you what, if we start having family altar once again in our homes, I believe that can start some revival. We're too busy to want revival. Because I'm going to tell you, if real revival came to our heart, it would inconvenient our life. You're right. 
as it were in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. What was wrong in the days of Noah? Eating, drinking, and giving in marriage. And we're going to give it the benefit of the doubt. We're just going to say the drinking is just, just drinking something with their meal. So in the days of Noah, what were they doing? They were eating, they were drinking, they were making merry, they were having a good time, but also they were getting married. Well, I thought getting married was a good thing. The Bible says marriage is honorable in all. Isn't that what it says? But yet before the days of Noah, before the flood came, they were eating and drinking and giving in marriage. So Lord, what's wrong with that? I'll tell you what's wrong with it. They're living their life as if there is no God. They're busy with life. They're busy with stuff. They're busy with running to and fro and making a living, making a career, making a, a spot in this world. But they have no fault of God. I don't have time to sit down with the family and read the Bible. I don't have time to go to the Lord and beg God for His forgiveness and pray down fire from heaven and pray down revival. You look over there, we don't have to turn to it, but you think about the book of Acts just for a moment. I'll be done. You think just about the book of Acts for a moment when the Holy Ghost came in Acts chapter 2 and they were filled with the power of God. They were filled with revival, if you will. They were filled with the Spirit of God. And then there was preaching. And then there was soul saved. But again, no revival ever came without serious prayer. What were they doing before the, before the Holy Ghost came in Acts 2? They were 120 up in the other room for about 50 days. And they were praying. What if we had to pray for 50 days for God's sin revival? See, it would be inconvenience. One trip to the altar on a Sunday night is not going to bring a revival to our heart. It's not going to be a, bring a revival to our home. It's going to be one, it's going to be a trip to the altar constantly in our life. And then, glory be to God, it may get to the place one of these days in our church that we get here an hour before the church and the altar is full and people are praying and calling on God. That's kind of revival we need to see. But that's inconvenience. We've got to get Johnny to the ball game. We've got to answer our cell phone. We've got to check our, in, our, our Instagram and our Facebook and we got to check our emails and we don't have time to pray and get serious with God. He said the official fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The fervent prayer of a righteous man. The fervent prayer, that word fervent means hot boiling. Hot boiling prayer. We need hot boiling prayer for revival. Lord, revive our heart. Revive our home, O oh Lord. Lord, put, Lord, help us to pre, help us, Lord, to organize our time. Help us to organize our life where you're top dead sinner. Where you're top dead sinner in our life. So we can run right, so we can go right. If that engine is not top dead sinner, it's not, it's going to run out of time.
Oh, how we need revival. I can't. We got so much that weighs us down. So much of a, a weight that holds us there. And revival is very much needed in our heart. It's needed in our home. It's needed in the house of God. How can we expect God to move when some people won't even open their song book and sing the song? But some people won't even hold the book. Don't have anything committed to memory. How long is this song service going to be? We're going to have three song services on a Wednesday night? Good night. That's what we are. But Naomi is getting all excited about the things of God again. She's seeing the goodness of God. She's seeing the favor of God. She's seeing the, the, that God is taking knowledge of her. She's starting to see the clouds break apart and lift up. And she's beginning to see the light of day again. And I'm sure with children in the ground, with a husband in the ground, she probably thought there's never going to be any ray of sunshine of God in my life again. But here's God walking into her life again and giving her some grace and giving her some knowledgement, giving her some kindness, giving her some love and say, Naomi, it's going to get better. Because you know how it gets better? Boaz is not only redeeming Ruth, not only bringing revival, but he's going to refresh him continually. Look at verse 21. And Ruth the Moabite said, He said unto me also, Thou shalt keep fast by my young men, until they have ended all my harvest. Naomi said unto Ruth, her daughter-in-law, said, It is good, my daughter, that I'll go out with his maidens, and they meet thee and not in another field. So she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean unto the end of barley harvest and of wheat harvest and dwelt with her mother-in-law. She worked about four to six weeks. You know what? She ended up getting job security. You know what? Listen, she brought home parched corn every day. She brought home handfuls home purpose every day. She brought home more barley and more wheat than they could ever eat every day. And it was continually, continually, daily loading them two ladies with benefits. And the goodness and the kindness and the grace of God was leashed on their lives. They were totally refreshed. Of course, in chapter 3 and chapter 4, it's going, to be, it's going to be a lot better than that. It's going to be security all the way to the end. You know what God wants us to do? If you look at the end of verse 23, and of the wheat harvest that dwelt with her mother-in-law. Now, the wheat harvest was at the end of May toward the part, beginning of June, about like where we are right now. You know that weed harvest, you know what they would do with it? They would take it and put it in the barn. And you know what in Matthew chapter uh, 15, I think it is, the Lord talked about the one day the Son of Man is going to come and He's going to separate the wheat from the tares and He's going to gather it up and put it in the barn. Until then, we're to labor, we're to work underneath his love, underneath his grace, underneath his mercy, and we're to stay close.
to the master. And then one day he's going to say, come on home. He's going to say, come up hither, work is over. The harvest is, 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 is taken up. The wheat is going to be separated from the tares. And we're going to put it in the barn. And we're ever closer than you think. So if we're going to gather wheat, if we're going to work in his vineyard, if we're going to work in the Lord's field, whatever we're going to do for God, we better put it in high gear and do it now. Because just any day, any moment, we're going to the barn. And we'll be there forevermore.